0: You're back for more. Welcome back to Fear, Realm's Horror Channel, and the next episode of Beatrix Green. Last time, if you'll recall, Stan Hope introduced everyone to a mysterious pit in the basement, and we learned that James's family has a very chilling history, a tradition of human sacrifice. Quite the revelation. But the séance seems to have worked, right? Let's find out. Right after this word from our sponsor. What are Beatrix and James going to do from here? Let's jump right into it. I'm your host, Pun Bandu. This is Beatrix Green, episode six.
2: Perhaps I shouldn't tell him. The thought floated through Beatrix's mind as she and James made their way to her room. She stole a glance at him. It was clear he was relieved about what had happened earlier, even if there was still a bit of tension in the set of his shoulders, the line of his jaw. But his mother's spirit was no longer held captive in this house. That weight had been lifted. Beatrix wished she felt a similar sense of solace, but the darkness she'd felt, the sense that there was something more to it. It sat heavily on her chest, and the shadows thrown by the flickering candles crawled along the wall making her uneasy if she had truly stopped the evil in Ashbury Manor why did everything still feel so damned sinister as James stopped in front of her door she knew that she had to tell him about the vision about how she was feeling he was after all a man who pursued the truth the full truth no matter how painful with his whole heart to keep this from him would be a betrayal, and studying his handsome face in the candlelight, Beatrix knew she owed him this. Every piece, every fragment of the nightmare that had consumed his childhood was rightfully his. Well, he said, clearing his throat, and something in Beatrix's chest clenched at how boyish he seemed all of a sudden, how unsure, most improper, he'd called their kiss... A mistake. It was her pride he'd wounded, not her heart, not truly. And after the seance, that hardly seemed to matter. But as she stood here with him in the gloom, looking into those blue eyes, she realized that her heart might be in danger after all. If she had any sense, she would speak to him about this in the morning, when her emotions were more settled, while the light of day would not make the moment feel this intimate and private. Still, she could not forget that heaviness she felt when she'd been inside his mother's mind and knew she had to tell him that it must be now. I said I wanted to speak with you, she said, laying her hand on his arm. As she did, she noticed the way his gaze fell to her fingers, the movement of his throat as he swallowed. It is not the sort of thing best discussed in a hallway, Beatrix continued. So if it's not too terribly shocking, may I invite you in? James met her eyes, and she wondered if he would tell her no, suggest some other far safer room in the house in which to sit and converse. Perhaps he, like her, felt this pull between them was too strong for quiet conversations in secluded rooms. But instead he smiled at her, or, as close as James Walker came to such a thing, after the events of this evening, Beatrix, I have a new definition of shocking. She smiled back, but her heart was still thumping hard within her ribcage as she opened the door and led him inside. As James set the candelabra on the mantel, Beatrix hurried herself with lighting the oil lamp on the nightstand, keeping her gaze from the curtained bed. She set the lamp on the small table between the two massive armchairs that were positioned in front of the fireplace. Her fire, lit earlier, was simply smouldering now, but James coaxed it back to life and, once it was comfortably crackling away, they each took their seats. Beatrix folded her hands in her lap as she considered how best to tell James what she saw in her vision. But before she could say anything, he spoke. "'It's odd to think she's gone now. "'I expected to feel... "'He lifted his hand, fingers waving slightly "'as though he might pull the emotion from the air. "'I do not know,' he finally said. "'I feel too many things at once. "'I always did where she was concerned. "'Loved her, hated her, "'could not forgive her, yet missed her desperately.' I suppose it's not odd that this should invoke a similarly confusing response. But perhaps everyone feels that way about their mother. Beatrix wondered if it was the late hour, the exhaustion following the séance, or the glass of wine he'd had downstairs that made him so forthcoming. But whatever the cause, she liked this version of James Walker. Rumpled, vulnerable, sharing secrets with her in the dark... Settling back into her chair, Beatrix looked into the flames dancing before her. James, you should know. Your mother never wanted to hurt you. Either you or Tommy. She didn't push him. He fell. James sat up a little straighter in his chair, fingers tapping on its shabby velvet arm. Fell. Beatrix nodded. In the vision, I felt it. I felt everything she felt. And she was... James, she was frightened. Beatrix turned to face him more fully. That's why Tommy fell. She wasn't trying to hurt him. Your mother was trying to get him out of the house. She kept thinking that she needed to save you. The fire suddenly gutted lower in the grate deepening the shadows around them and although Beatrix knew it was probably nothing more than a trick of the wind outside she shivered James frowned those dark brows drawing closer together as he leaned slightly away from her save me he echoed from what Beatrix tried to summon up everything she'd felt when trapped in his mother's memories there was darkness a malevolence she had feared Beatrix wished she could recall more, but it felt hazy, as a dream does upon waking. Reaching across the space between them, Beatrix took James's hand, felt his fingers flex beneath hers. There was something else after you both. Something she meant to protect you from. That's what was in her mind. In her heart. I... I think whatever it was, it made her... She let go of James's hand, reaching for her own throat. She remembered that ending slice all too well. The sudden pressure. The sense of drowning on dry land. The warmth of her own blood. The feeling that she wasn't in control of the hand moving the knife inexorably toward her throat. James sighed, reaching up to rub his brow. But she did not kill him. That's what you're telling me. His death was an accident. Beatrix nodded, and the corners of James's mouth turned up slightly. Not a smile, not quite. It was too sad for that. Beatrix, he said, his voice soft. If you knew how my father treated her, if you knew the things he subjected her to, the violence, the sudden cruelty... How she must have felt. Marrying a man she loved only to see him turn into a monster once he'd brought her home. It would be enough to fracture anyone's mind. James's gaze wandered back to the fire. She was unwell. That's all it was. And her guilt over hurting Tommy must have locked her spirit to this place. And we freed her tonight. You freed her. He faced her and, once again, he took her hand, his skin warm as his palm pressed against hers. I can never thank you enough for that. I could hardly admit it, but it's all I wanted. Why I returned to this damn place? His gaze sent shivers racing through her despite the heat of the fire. Holding his hand here in her room, the vision from earlier felt even further away even more like a dream and she knew he was right there was no other darkness at work James's mother had been driven to madness by Lord Ashbury's ill treatment of her a tragedy no more but also Beatrix reminded herself as she looked at James no less what had happened here had indeed been monstrous and the scars that it left were deep Looking down at their joined hands, Beatrix shook her head. You owe me no thanks. I came here, fully expecting to lie to you, to tell you a pretty story and take your money, to comfort me, he countered, still watching her with those blue eyes, eyes that, no matter if their paths never crossed again, Beatrix knew she would remember for the rest of her days. Because that's what you would have done, isn't it? Tell me the thing best designed to ease my mind about what happened to my brother. What my mother did. Scoffing, Beatrix gently removed her hand from his and rose to her feet, chafing her hands up and down her arms. Kindly do not make me sound quite so saintly, sir. To her surprise, he chuckled at that. And Beatrix turned to see him leaning back in his chair, his ankle propped on the opposite knee, his entire being radiating an ease she had not seen from him before. Did I do that to him? She wondered. Never fear, Miss Green, he replied, then paused. Beatrix, he corrected, her name a caress. No one could mistake you for anything other than a flesh-and-blood woman. It was not just his eyes now, but his voice honeyed and warm, sliding over her. And Beatrix remembered how his kiss had felt, the way she'd ached to press her lips to that spot just near his ear. Desire rose in her, so tangible it almost shimmered in the air around them. Beatrix turned away, knowing she should tell him she was tired, that he should leave now. She'd said what she'd wanted to, after all, told him the full truth of what she'd seen and there was no need to keep him here and yet outside the wind had picked up rattling the window and rushing down the chimney sending the fire leaping up in the grate perhaps it was the flames or maybe Beatrix simply felt she should share something of herself now that James had given up so much of his past I was a child when I lost my parents as well she heard herself say, and from behind her she sensed him sitting up in his chair. "'A fire,' she went on, bracing her hands on the mantel. The marble was warmed by the fire, but still Beatrix shuddered. She had not seen the calamity that took her parents' lives, but over and over she'd imagined it. And now her voice took on a slightly faraway quality as she drew the picture for James. There were actors... "'My mother grew up in a theatrical family, "'but my father was the son of a barrister. "'Fell in love with the girl playing Ophelia "'and ran away from home.' "'Turning, Beatrix looked over her shoulder at James, "'offering him a small smile, all terribly romantic. "'He said nothing, simply watching her, "'and Beatrix faced the fire again, "'her eyes focused on the stone medallion in front of her.' but her mind in the past. A performance of Macbeth, of all things. A travelling show, stopping in some little hamlet in the Midlands. My mother was playing Lady Macbeth, of course. I was still in London with my aunt, and I always wondered, what if? She let the words trail away because there had been too many what ifs. James, Beatrix thought, would no doubt understand that. The theatre manager wanted something special, she went on, and decided to use real fire in the witch's scene. My mother wasn't even on stage, she was standing in the wings. That's the part I always think of. If she had been standing somewhere else, it never would have happened. If she'd only been a few steps farther back, just the littlest bit to the right... Beatrix sighed. When they wheeled the cauldron and its fire off, an ember caught the edge of her skirt. Beatrix had kept the newspaper article about the fire in a diary for years. The paper eventually folded so many times that it tore, the cheap ink smudging. It didn't matter. By the time she'd thrown it away, she'd memorized every line. She took comfort in that now, as she recited the bare facts with as little emotion as she could manage. She was wearing crinolines, you see. The fire took hold so quickly. One moment she was safe and whole, and the next she was aflame. As she always did when she thought of her parents, Beatrix wondered if her mother had even had time to be frightened, to feel pain. My father saw and simply reacted. He tried to use the cape from his costume to smother the flames, but the material was cheap and it went up just as fast until they were both burning together.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. island in frigid lake superior a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it ancestor by number one new york times best-selling author scott sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong available wherever you get your podcasts
2: she heard james make a soft sound behind her of shock or distress or perhaps sympathy she didn't know but she couldn't stop now. Not when she had never said these words out loud to another human. Not even to Haz. He knew, of course. Her parents' deaths had a strange sort of notoriety in the theatre community. But they never spoke of it. Now that she had started, she wasn't sure she could stop. Do you know, I used to think to myself, if only they hadn't loved each other so much. If only he had stayed back or let someone else take care of it. Then I would have him, and that would be something. If only he had remembered me and hesitated, just for a moment. And there it was, her own darkest secret laid bare. She turned to look at him, her hands clasped behind her back. The shadows had deepened in the room, and he seemed to sink into them, watching her in this quiet, dim space, his expression inscrutable. So no, James, no one will confuse me with a saint. He rose then, and she was reminded of how tall he was, of the power he kept tightly leashed in those dull suits, those bland colours. There was nothing dull or bland about him now as he approached, and Beatrix found she was holding her breath. Christ, how wretched, he said, his voice barely above a whisper. And while it wasn't unexpected, it was still somewhat startling how cold those words made her. And then he stepped forward, his hand cupping her cheek. What you've suffered, he said, his breath warm and smelling of the whiskey Harry had shared with him. And yet you still give so much of yourself. It undid her. Thoroughly. This man, this odd, distant man, who had grown up in a house of blood and terror and was even now looking at her with all her own demons and seeing her. Truly seeing her. Admiring her. Understanding her. Oh, it was foolish and mad, and she might regret it, but right now she could not see how. So she leaned into his touch, her hand coming to rest against his chest where his heart thudded steadily against her palm. James, she murmured, stepping closer, letting the moment enfold her. I think you deserve one good memory in this house. She lifted her gaze to his, felt her breath push past parted lips and knew that she would never regret what they did this night. This was earned. It was what they both needed so very desperately. And when he did not object, when he only looked at her with those hot eyes, she lifted her hand to the buttons lining the front of her dress.
3: Madness and ruin. That was what this was, and James bloody well knew it. He had always been so careful in the past, never trifling with unmarried women, never wanting to make a promise with his body that his heart could never fulfill. He was a broken man, scion to a cursed line, and so he thought he would be alone. But now there was Beatrix, Beatrix with her sad, hazel eyes, looking at him so forthrightly that he could only offer her the truth in response. And the truth was that he wanted her, quite desperately. Too much to offer up any sort of token resistance, some false play at gallantry. He had done that before when he left her in the drawing room. He didn't want to do it again. Instead, he leaned forward and kissed her. In the time since their first kiss earlier in the night, he'd wondered if he'd imagined how good it was... How sweet she tasted, and how easily she slid into his arms. Surely it had been nothing more than the heightened emotions from this situation that had made that embrace seem almost fated. But now, as his lips met hers again, James knew it had been no fluke. This thing, whatever it was, that sparked between him and Beatrix, was as real as a thing could be his fingers tangled with hers on the buttons of her dress, and she laughed huskily against his mouth, backing up so that she could pull the dress from her shoulders. In the firelight, her skin was bronzed, her gaze bold, as she stepped out of the layers that separated her body from his. The dress sliding over chemise and corset and petticoat. That prim, simple dress pooling on the floor, her eyes burning hot as she reached up to let down her hair. James had not realized just how lovely her hair was until it was spilling over all that satiny skin, golden and so soft that he could not help but reach out to touch it. As he did, she caught his wrist, pulling him even closer, staring up into his eyes with a fierceness that made him somehow even harder, even more desperate to have her. I will not be sorry for this she said, a voice firm and her eyes fire. You will not make me sorry for this, James Walker. Never, he vowed, and then he sank to his knees, gathering up all that linen and cotton as he went. Never, 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 he murmured the words fervently into the soft skin just above her knee, where her plain woolen stocking stopped. He said it again as he reached for the tapes around her waist, sending her petticoat sliding to the floor. And when he spun her around, rising to begin unlacing her corset, he made another promise. This means something to me, Beatrix. I want you to know that. The words were rasped out, pressed against the damp hair of her temple even as he made quick work of her laces. And she laughed a low and throaty sound that went right to the heart of him (laughs) too bloody right it does and then her corset was off her body soft and pliant in his arms as he turned her again lost himself to her kiss he would not be sorry for it either there was no future for them he knew that how could there be in a few weeks time he would be in america starting a new life But tonight, this one night, now that he was free, this they could have. The ring is cold as it slides onto his finger. James stares at it, confused. He has never worn his father's signet ring before, does not understand why he's doing it now. In fact, he has sworn never to wear such a thing. To cast it out as he has the rest of his family. And yet he wears it. He stands in his father's study, the ring snug on his finger. Outside, rain pours down, wind rattles the firmaments of this, his father's house. A house he turned his back on. He turns to the door. Beatrice. She stands there in one of her plain gowns, anguished, a hand reaching out for him. James! James. She cries, and he takes a step forward, but it's as though the carpet is holding him in place, as if each step weighs on him like iron. Beatrix! He struggles to get to her. She's moving closer, her pale fingers still outstretched. He is almost there. He's nearly reached her. The door slams shut. Heavy as a stone in front of a tomb, and James's scream echoes Beatrix's own as a hand is caught. Those beautiful, slender fingers, fingers he has seen rest lightly on tabletops. Fingers he has felt interlaced with his own, fingers that have slid over his body and driven him near to madness, crushed, snapped. The skin tearing, the bones breaking, blood suddenly gushing as he screams and screams, as she wails in agony and the door will not budge. It seems to fit even more tightly against the jab. He wants to cradle her twisted hand in his, but he can't, cannot move it, cannot save her. He has hurt her, maimed her, as he will maim everything he loves. Turning from the carnage, he looks back to his father's desk, but somehow, impossibly, he is standing there too. Two places at once, kneeling by the door as Beatrix's blood drips onto the carpet, and also presiding imperiously over this space that had been his father's. But it is his now. He has paid the price that he must, the price they all must pay, in blood in suffering. If he simply walks away, forgets about those mangled fingers, the cries that have tapered off into a sort of soft whimper, it won't hurt anymore, any of it. He just has to move closer to the desk, become the man standing there, and the pain will end. Not hers, of course, never hers, but his. He simply has to step forward and... James startled awake, his heart pounding in the darkness. At his side, Beatrix stirred, murmuring, and James' hand found hers resting on his chest. The nightmare receded as he lifted her fingers to his mouth, gently kissing each fingertip, his pulse slowing even as he remembered how it had felt. ...to see those lovely fingers crushed under the weight of the study door. A dream, he told himself. Nothing more. But he lay awake in the dark for a long time after.
2: The knocking awoke her, making Beatrix think she was back home. That her neighbour, Mrs. Smithson, had a new religious pamphlet she wanted to share... But as she came back to herself, memories returned. Ashbury Manor. James. He was asleep next to her, his face soft in repose, far less stern and foreboding. Beatrix allowed herself the luxury of gently running a finger along the bridge of his nose before pushing herself from the sheets and pulling on the dressing gown she'd had the good sense to unpack. It was not at all a surprise to find Harry on the other side of the door, his tie undone, his expression positively gleeful as he took in her rumpled state. Don't, she warned, but he was already laughing. You rogue, you, Harry teased. Or perhaps it's him that's the rogue. In any case, well done the pair of you. I hate you, Beatrix grumbled, but Harry only grinned and ducked his head in the door, pressing a quick kiss to her forehead. You don't, but listen, since not all of us were as, uh, fortunate, let us say, I've decided to pop down to the village, see what's afoot there. Squinting at him, Beatrix leaned harder against the door. Has it must be past midnight? Far past, he agreed, then blew out a breath and ruffled the hair at the nape of his neck. But to tell the truth, B, country living is not for me. When a bloke is used to London, little else will do. Or you just want to see if Doyle is still regaling folks at the pub, and welcome the chance to outshine him. Mayhaps I do. Mayhaps I do. He agreed genially, and Beatrix gave him a playful shove. I trust I'm leaving you in capable hands. I will murder you. Harry grinned, and, with the tip of his imaginary hat, he was gone. Beatrix was still smiling when she shut the door, and as she turned back to the bed, she saw that James was awake. He'd propped himself up on pillows, one hand tucked behind his head. I take it our liaison is now public knowledge. It's Harry knowledge, she corrected. He won't say a word. She slid back into the sheets, still in her dressing gown, and rested her hand on his chest. Beatrix met James's gaze. For all they had done in the past few hours, she still felt slightly... well, shy was perhaps not the word, but unsure. She lived her life on her own terms, but it was rare that she went to bed with a man. Rarer still that she shared so much of herself with him. But this isn't really a liaison, is it? She pressed forward to softly kiss him. It is a night, a very perfect night, but an aberration. Ne'er to be repeated, he agreed, twirling a lock of her loose hair around one finger, and Beatrix felt her chest seize. Oh, if only they could repeat it. But she was a pragmatic woman. She lived in the real world, and she knew how it worked. James might deny it, but he was a baronet, a lord, and she was the orphaned daughter of a pair of actors, making her living pretending to commune with the dead. They'd found this one space in which they might be together, but it could not last in the outside world. And she could not let herself be sorry for that. Curling closer, Beatrix cupped a hand around the back of his neck. There are certainly a few things I'd enjoy repeating this night, I can tell you that, she murmured against his lips, and his answering chuckle would, she knew, warm her for years to come. She had just begun to slide her dressing gown from her shoulders when the house shook. No, not just shook, rattled to its very core, the foundation itself shifting the windows vibrating in their frames, and somewhere in the distance, Beatrix heard the sound of breaking glass, of shattering wood. She looked at James, and wordlessly they rushed out of bed. There was no time for corset or stockings. Beatrix simply threw on her chemise, dress, and shoes. All around them, the house seemed to come apart at the seams. What is it? James called, buttoning his shirt, and Beatrix could only shake her head. A nightmare? A nightmare I thought we'd awaken from. Together, they raced down the stairs, sensing that the disturbance came from lower, from the cave they'd found tonight. Beatrix felt as though she were moving through treacle, as though this were just a terrible dream, one in which no matter how fast you ran, you could not escape. And all around them, as they ran through the kitchen, down the stairs, so many stairs, the house continued its seething. And as they descended into the lowest level of the house, the air became colder, danker. A foul odour like that of a charnel house permeating the air, so thick Beatrix had to press a hand against her nose. It should not have shocked her, seeing Stanhope. And yet it did. Something primal inside her balked at the sight of him here, in the broken stone of Ashbury's cellar, his clothes in disarray, His eyes wild, his chest leaking blood from a massive symbol carved into its center. Beatrix could barely make sense of it in all the ruined flesh, but it appeared to be a circle filled with a series of slashes. A cross? No, a sword. Words in Latin. The Ashbury family crest. Oh, what have you done? she heard herself say, even as James shouted, Stanhope! But Stanhope, the charming, convivial friend James had once known, was clearly gone. And in his place was darkness, darkness and the death of them all.
0: I can't say I'm surprised that we aren't done with the pit or that there's more to stand hope than he wanted everyone to think. I'm really rooting for Beatrix and James, though. I hope they survive the night. <laughs> it also makes me think that's such a common theme, isn't it, to mix romance with horror in this genre? Well, it makes me think of you know stories like Dracula, and I guess it makes sense, right? It's like they're both the things that excite us and that arouse us. and make us tingle, make us feel alive. Actually, one of my favorite horror movies is a, a Hong Kong movie called A Chinese Ghost Story from the 80s, uh, and that's also a romance. It's about a guy who spends the night in a temple and falls in love with a ghost. It's it's really great. It's a classic. Check it out if you, if you don't know it. Chinese Ghost Story. All right, we still have three episodes left in our story. It's almost time for an exciting twist, don't you think? Come back next time to see what happens. See you then.
1: You're listening to Fear, Beatrix Green. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
0: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine
1: Beatrix Green is written by Rachel Hawkins, Ash Parsons, and Vicki Alvier Schechter. Produced by Haley Wagreich. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Sharomi Arcerio and Alistair Austin. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Kaylin West. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Fear is produced by Mary Asadolahi. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Ladshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Pun Bandu. Audio editing by Corey Barton and Felicia Dominguez. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Fear by following Realm on Apple Podcasts Spotify, or at realm.fm.